to another edition of Bavarian Podcast Works. This is Chuck Smith, and I'm here to bring you the weekend warm-up BFW's weekly show where we hit on all the latest and greatest news. Of course, with Bayern Munich being on a break and Germany really being on the center stage, we'll tackle the Germans and their World Cup aspirations a little bit. But we also have a lot to talk about with Bayern Munich so what better way to get this going than to get started with our normal format after a one-week break? Uh, we're going to talk about the five things that we learned this week. And first and foremost, we learned that Germany still has a lot of questions heading into the World Cup in Qatar. Uh, I, I would say that watching Germany play Hungary and England, I didn't come away fully discouraged. I came away a little bit frustrated at times. I expected Germany to be a little better than they looked at this stage. I expected them to not have, uh, I guess, as much choppiness to their game as we saw. Now, I get it. Hansi Flick is mixing and matching players, trying to see what works best. He's also trying to narrow down his list of candidates for the team. So in many ways, the UEFA Nations League matches that we just saw were just experimental. They were a really a laboratory test for Flick to get an idea of what he needs to work on, who he needs on the team, and who he might be able to cut. So if you want to circle back and look at the Hungry game and the England game, from a fan standpoint, you came away unhappy. You came away frustrated with how they performed. You came away maybe a little discouraged with how things looked on the pitch and and maybe even a little unhappy with the coach. Uh Hansi Flick, to this point, while things were not perfect, his record was essentially perfect. He had not lost a match, and he had really reinvigorated or rejuvenated, I should say, the squad. They looked much more energetic. There was not that lethargic-type behavior and attitude on the pitch that we had seen under Yogi Love. There was just a new sense of energy and life to the team. And against Hungary, I think we all saw that it wasn't there. Against England, again, they scuffled for a half and they got it together, but it was a really wild and while uh, really wild second half. And while it was fun, it didn't exactly, exactly make you feel very confident about where the team is heading into the World Cup in Qatar. So when I look at where Germany is, where they need to be, I think there are a couple question marks uh, about the roster itself, who's going to be the left back? Is it going to be David Rahm or is it going to be Robin Guzzins? Or will Flick go off the board and bring someone else in? Uh, from a right back perspective, we saw that Flick opted to use Jonas Hoffman as more of an attacking option at right back. There were mixed reviews on that. It does appear that that Flick has... Lucas Klosterman, Matthias Ginter, and Tilo Kerr on his radar for the position as well. But things really are at a weird point with that position because the best right back on the roster is probably Joshua Kimmich, who has really no intention of going there and playing there, even if it would help the team at this point. If I was Flick, I might consider that option just because you do have Ilkay Gundogan and Leon Goretzka already available for midfield positions. You could even drop Jamal Musiala there. There are just so many other options that I think would help the team rather than using Kimmich there, no matter whether Kimmich is good or bad, whatever. It just makes the team stronger if Kimmich were to play right back. But regardless of that, 
doesn't look like it's going to happen. Flick is going to have to make some tough decisions when it comes to right back. As far as his attack goes, it is it's really up in the air. I think you you know a lot of fans came away frustrated with Timo Werner, and and rightfully so. It was not a good showing for Werner over the course of his playing time in those two games. But you could also come away saying that Thomas Muller was a complete non-factor in his playing time. You could also say that Serge Gnabry was was mostly ineffective, and while Leroy Sané was maybe one of the best attackers that Germany had. He was also incredibly inefficient with with his chances, which is something that has plagued both Germany and Bayern Munich, as we know. Uh, What has become evident, and this is something we will touch on in greater detail later, Jamal Musiala has become a player that's going to be very hard for Germany to keep on the bench. Uh, He just makes things happen. His dribbling ability, his creativity, and his vision – and his also his, his nose for the goal. I mean, they are, are tough things to keep out of the lineup right now. And when I look at the roster in the lineup, I, I don't know what Flick is going to do. It doesn't appear likely that Flick is going to bench Thomas Muller, uh, which would be Jamal Musiala's natural fit for a position. So where does he squeeze Musiala in? Does he use him as a wing? Does he use him as a as an eight? I mean, these are possibilities, but for that to happen, Flick is going to have to move some people around. And whether that means Kimmich moves out or whether it means, or Kimmich, I should say Kimmich moves out to right back, or whether it means that Serge Gnabry or Leroy Sané or Timo Werner or Kai Havertz get pushed to the bench. Um, I don't know at this point. And, you know, we did see Havertz have a couple of goals in, in his opportunity to start against England. And I thought Havertz, you know, at times he looks like that player that everyone thought he would be. Fast, dynamic, creative, uh, a matchup nightmare at times, but consistency has been an issue. And I wonder when you look at Germany's attack, if Flick isn't in the same position that I am right now when I look and I say, like, I don't know at this stage how to make it work best. You know, as everybody knows, I'm, I'm, far more of a believer in Timo Werner than most people. And I think to this point, you know, he had been playing decent under Flick, but in the game against Hungary, the Germany's inability to work against a low sitting block really became an issue. And and some of that is on Werner. I don't think his runs were creative enough in the box. I, I don't, I think he had some trouble getting involved, but you could say the same for Thomas Muller. You could say the same for Serge Gnabry. Things were not working well against Hungary. And if you are a team looking to frustrate Germany who might not have the talent level of Germany, I think Hungary gave you the, the blueprints on how to succeed in that format. But luckily for Germany, they are playing in a group with some teams like Spain and Japan who probably are going to want to look to exchange blows with Germany. They're not going to be afraid of Germany or sit back. So I would think that in this format for the group stage of the World Cup, that Germany is going to be lucky enough to have to be able to play teams that are going to want to compete with them. So that that is a plus. But if they do find themselves in a situation where they're they're playing against a low block, they're going to have to be far more creative. And the only two players that looked remotely capable of dealing with that were Leroy Sané and, and and maybe Musiala. Now against Hungary, Musiala was a sub and, and honestly didn't not make that great of an impact. So 
I'm a little skeptical about how Germany looks. I am still confident that they can go to Qatar and be be one of the contenders. But there are definitely a lot of question marks, you know. And, and I do feel like if if Kimmich was a little flexible in his willingness to to maybe help the team and play right back, it might actually make the one to eleven starting lineup stronger. But Flick is going to have to work through that. He's going to have to decide if he can approach Kimmich with that. He's going to also have to decide if Kimmich is more valuable in the central midfield than he is playing a position like right back. Uh, there are questions. But we do know that Antonio Rudiger and Nicholas Sewell look pretty formidable. You do also have Nico Schlatterbeck there, who despite his mistakes, uh, does have a lot of talent. And I think that in a lot of ways... Um, Germany is set up to to at least have a very capable and successful back line. Uh, I am very interested to see if Mats Hummels becomes someone that Flick brings in, mostly because of his veteran leadership and his experience. I think Hummels could be a player that, even if he does not get a lot of playing time, could become extremely valuable to a team like Germany just because of what he brings off the pitch. So, uh, Flick is going to have to make some tough roster choices. He's going to have to make some tough lineup choices, but this is why he's in the position that he's in. And I mean, it's tough to be looked at as the savior for German national team football, but Flick to this point has embraced it. And he has at least acknowledged that he has to hold himself accountable for what happens with this team, including the roster selection and find a way to take the talent, mold it together, and have it become one functioning, seamless unit ahead of Qatar. As of now, I don't think you could say that Germany's in that position. There was far too much choppiness on the pitch for anyone to really think that that Germany uh, doesn't have some flaws heading into Qatar. But hey, they're just like everyone else at this stage. Every other national team is in this position even France, who is absolutely loaded, is not exactly uh, like a, a perfect example of team chemistry by any means. And you can just look at the alleged witchcraft uh, that was that it's being done between Paul Pogba and Kylian Mbappe. <laughs> of course, you don't want to dive into that story. But if you do want to read about it, check out BFW. Just search for it. Uh, witch doctors and, and whatnot. I mean, if you're a Germany fan, you, you have to love that just because having uh just something as strange and as stupid as that hanging over any team uh it can be a distraction so uh germany for what it's worth right now still has a lot of work to do am i as confident in germany as i was before this international break if i'm answering that honestly no uh i i was far more confident in what germany looked like under flick uh prior to this international break i thought the loss to hungary did expose some things i thought that some of what we saw against England uh, was disturbing in a lot of ways in terms of losing the lead and then just the the untimely mistakes. I, I think there are reasons to be concerned, but, you know, Flick is going to have to earn his national team pay with, with this, and he's going to have to find solutions where there are a lot of questions. So like many Germany fans, uh, you can follow along with BFW because we will be following Germany very, very closely as we head into Qatar. We will be just diving headfirst into the coverage of Germany's quest to get back to international glory. 
But uh, as of right now, it, it's hard to be supremely confident if you are a Germany fan. Second thing we learned this week is that Bayern Munich is about to get back into action. And boy, are there a lot of questions about the Bavarians as well. Uh, I think that I can speak for a lot of fans in saying that the way Germany ended things before the international break was not good. I think that Germany's up and down form over the first set of games for this season was incredibly frustrating. Of course, they started out awesome. They looked overpowering and it looked like Julian Nagelsmann was really just going to push all the right buttons and this was going to be a great season. What we learned over the following weeks is that things are not perfect, that there are rotation issues, that there are issues with the players in individual forms. I mean, the the players are not living up to their potential by any means. And I think that what we also learned is there are some players in the locker room that are questioning the coach, his tactics, maybe his strategies and philosophies on things. Things are not perfect. But what we need to look for in these upcoming games is just some semblance of normalcy. Is Bayern looking dangerous from possession to possession? Do they have the necessary energy and creativity to, to battle these Bundesliga teams that they have scuffled against of late? Do we have enough confidence in, in watching them go out on the pitch and have confidence themselves? Uh, I'm not sure when I look at this team that they play a very confident style of game, which is very odd because this is a team full of big egos, big talent, and supreme confidence. They have not looked confident in playing their last few Bundesliga matches. I need to see more confidence. I need to see more energy, and I need to see more creativity from the players. From Julian Nagelsmann, I need to see something that shows he's got a rotation working out, that he's figuring out a way to make it work where he can keep the players happy while putting out the best possible 11 for a particular game on a week-by-week basis. And right now he hasn't done that. Nagelsmann is struggling with player management. He's struggling with finding the best way to rotate these guys. And he is struggling with the best way to line them up. Is the 4 triple 2 the best option for this squad? Is it a 4-3-3? Is it a 4-2-3-1? Is it a back three-based formation, like a 3-4-2-1? Right now, I don't think Nagelsmann knows. I think he's got some ideas, and I think he loves the tinker, and I think he loves to try things out. And, and what that could all lead to is a little more frustration for Bayern Munich fans, because I don't think that Nagelsmann is very close to having an idea of what he wants to do with this team yet. I do think that the the poor form of some players that the lack of uh, willingness to move around by some players or the fact that some players just can't perform in certain positions as well as they can in others. I think that is really confused Nagelsmann. I think he's trying to find a way to make it all work. And I think that the emergence of a player like Jamal Musiala, who went from a kid they could stash on the bench and be a, a, a really a game changing sub I think he's performed so well that you can't really do that anymore. He is a starter now. Do you bench Thomas Muller? Do you bench Leroy Sané? Do you take your your big acquisition from the summer in Sadio Mane and, or, and put him on the bench? There are just a lot of options for Nagelsmann, and he has yet to push all of the right buttons to figure out what works best. So more than anything, what I want to look for in these upcoming games is I want to see how Nagelsmann rotates. I want to see if he can get those rotations to have some chemistry on the pitch because chemistry or as Brazo recently put it rhythm, that's all missing right now. 
the attackers are not making the other attackers better. It's not a collective effort right now. And that's one of the very disappointing things that I think we can all say about this is there's so much talent, but the talent is not finding a way to work together effectively enough to make things successful on a consistent basis. So I want to see the rotations. I want to see the formations. And I want to see how Nagelsmann keeps these players happy in the upcoming games. I know everyone's saying Nagelsmann is not on the hot seat, and I don't think he is. But if the continued run of poor form is seen throughout the next few Bundesliga games, or even if it seeps into the Champions League games coming up, that seat could get a little bit uh, a little bit warmer for Julian Nagelsmann. Even if everyone in the executive room at Bayern Munich is not ready to pull the trigger on anything, it will start to get a little tense if he can't find a way to get things moving in the right direction. And I think the expectations are that we got through the first part of this season. Nagelsmann had some time to figure things out, to work on things, to experiment. And now he's going to have to start to put it together and start to see results. Can he do that right now with this group? I think so. But it's all going to really depend on how the players perform. And to, to date, I can't say that any of the players have really been all that consistent enough to have confidence that they're going to be able to follow it through and do what they're asked to do by Nagelsmann and get those results that the club need. So we will be anxiously anticipating the game this weekend, but also the following games, because these are all important and this team needs to get itself sorted out. The third thing that we learned this week is that Jamal Musiala's star is really beginning to explode. Now, I think for a long time, if you followed Musiala's career and long before I started to follow Musiala's career, I think everyone could recognize that he was a very talented kid. Obviously he was in Chelsea's Academy. He was playing for the England youth national teams. It's not like he was some diamond in the rough that popped out of nowhere. This is, this is a kid that I think a lot of people knew was good. But what I do think is that people did not realize just how good Musiala is. And now that Bayern fans know, now that Germany fans know, now that probably Chelsea fans know because they're lamenting the loss of Musiala, I think it's starting to now grow to the point where fans of other leagues and other countries, fans of other teams, they are seeing that Musiala is indeed a special player. And a special player is not something I like to throw around because it, it can become tiresome and used too much. But Musiala is a game changer. And he is someone who... I mean, just impacts so many games. Of course, he's not perfect. I think you could look at Germany's match against Hungary to say that he he wasn't great in that appearance. But that was one of the very few and rare times that he hasn't come on and and become just like enacted some kind uh, of success and forced himself upon a game just because of his talent. He is just that good. He's that impactful. But now everyone is starting to see it. So Musiala, now the next stage of his growth as a player, now that he has had this emergence, is how does he handle it? Because he still is young at 19, and he still is relatively inexperienced. How does he handle those times when he's left out of the starting 11, even if he feels like he should be in it? How does he handle being rotated out when he's so young and has fresh legs? How does he handle all of this extra attention? Because what we know now is that Musiala is damn good, that he is a star in the making if he's not already a star. But how does he handle it from here? 
Does he continue to grow and push himself to evolve as a player? Or does he get caught up like so many other players do in reading too much of his own press clippings? There's nothing that would indicate that Musiala is that kind of player, but you never know how it's going to turn out with a youngster. What I want to see from Musiala is continued growth. I'm not going to be one of the people that is pining for him to get bigger and stronger because as I've said before on the show, I don't think that he's the kind of player that needs that kind of physique. Of course you want him to be stronger, but he doesn't need to bulk up. And, and, you know, sure. Some of it I feel like has to do with just how his body moves and how explosive he is. I'm not saying that you're going to lose any of that explosiveness if you bulk up a little, but how he is able to maneuver his wiry body in and out of defenders, how he's able to control the ball with the way he is. I think that right now, he has set himself up to be very, very successful with the body type that he has. So, of course, while you you do want to see him be successful and you want to see him evolve, you want to see him get stronger and maybe even faster, I just still don't think he's the type of player that needs to pack on 15 to 20 pounds to, to really hit his potential. I think he his body type is unique. You could say the same thing about Thomas Muller. And I, I want to see how he takes what he has and continues to make that better. Uh, I think that one thing I'd like to see him start doing a little more is, is start looking for his own shot. And he does an exceptional job of that. He really does. But I think he's got such a nose for the goal and such a good touch around the, the net that he can become an even bigger scorer, an even bigger factor. And of course, like for me, I'd still love to see him really just at this point focus at being a great wing. But it appears that even with Bayern in Germany, they want to play him in more of a central role, which he'll be great at either way. Uh, so where he fits, how he fits, how his game continues to develop, that's what I want to see. Because I think Musiala really can be a, a, a one of the great stars of the sport not just you know in Germany or not just with Bayern or, or with anything. He is someone that can transcend uh, what we normally see out of great players. And I'm not ready to put him up in the echelon of Messi or Ronaldo or anyone like that. But I think his potential to be that kind of player, maybe not at Messi or Ronaldo's level, but be in that, that tier of great, great players is there. And from here, it just it's more about how he manages it than how a team helps him along the way. Because Musiala seems to be a kid who's self-motivated. He seems to be a kid driven to improve his game. How he deals with the attention he's going to get, how he deals with all the praise he's going to get, that's what's going to matter at this point. He's getting a little bit older. He's starting to graduate from being that young, eager kid to being a an established player who knows just how good he is. So, you know, Musiala is in a spot where he has a chance to do a lot of great things in his career, but he's going to have to stay on the right track. I think by all accounts, it looks like he's going to do that, but can he continue to stiff arm all that noise, all the people telling him how great he is, all the people that might start to want a piece of him that we always see, whether that's agents, friends, whatever. I think Musiala is on, on the great, track to do that and i think that you know when we look at players that were probably in a similar spot you look at robert Lewandowski when he started to emerge was he going to be able to avoid all the people that were going to tell him how great he was was he going to be able to uh be able 
to keep focused on making his game evolve and getting better? Was he going to be able to, to not have people glomming off him? And I think if, if Musiala wants to look at anything, he can look at Lewandowski as, as an example, as a player who was able to really handle all that noise and graduate from being a, a, a very good player to one of the best players in the world. So Luciano's star is definitely starting to explode. Other people are noticing it, not just us Byron fans. So, of course, you know what that means. In the coming years, we're going to see a whole hell of a lot of transfer rumors about especially English clubs wanting to bring in Luciano. But we'll deal with that when we get there. The fourth thing that we learned this week is that Bayern Munich might already be planning for life after Benjamin Pavar. Now, Pavar has had a great season at right back, but he's also consistently mentioned, including in an interview this week, that he wants to play center back. And I think if Pavar, like anyone else, can look at the roster at Bayern Munich, when you see Luca Hernandez, when you see Matthijs Delict, when you see Dio Upamakano, you probably look and if you're Pavar, you probably look at them and say, I'm just as good as they are, but am I going to get the opportunity? And that's where I think Pavar is really struggling because I think he knows how much the club is invested in those three players, how much the club is going to continue to invest in those three players. Um, I think that we're really going to start to, to see that Pavar is going to really focus on finding a way to become that type of center back. Um, and, you know, can he get to a place where he can be a center back? Can, can he find a club that's going to trust him in that position? And I think he can. That's bad news for Bayern Munich. I mean, good center backs are tough to find. And Pavar, I think what we've all learned um, is that he is, one, a technically very good player. Two, physically he matches up very well. He's got a good combination of size and strength. And he, and he can run a little bit. So I think he's got the the prototypical modern day center pack kind of frame that that will work in today's game his versatility is also very appealing because if a team was stuck and they needed a right back he could easily shift out there and do that pretty seamlessly as well so with everything i think we're seeing about pavar i think the club especially julian nogsman i think they like him i think they would want to retain him and i think they would love to to keep him on the roster especially as a right back but i think at this stage of his career he wants to move to center back and he might have to make a move away from bayern munich to do that so what is bayern doing to 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 kind of plan ahead on this i think they can see the writing on the wall and despite the fact they plan on engaging in some talks with pavar soon i think that they have to start looking at contingency plans the latest news that we saw is that they are back looking at Ajax center back, Urian Timber, who Byron was linked to in the summer. Of course, Timber was also linked to Manchester United because of his obvious connection with coach Eric Ten Hag. So Timber is one of those players. He is a shorter center back. Uh, I don't know how that would work if he was a player that had to be paired with another shorter center back and Luca Hernandez. But I guess that's why Byron has uh, a couple of, I would say taller. I mean, Diopa Makano is not exactly a giant either. While Matthijs De Ligt is, is actually very tall, but I, I think if Byron is going to look at uh, another defender that would potentially fill in for Pavar, I think that Timber is one that they would closely look at because they've already had an established scouting report on him. They've are, they, I'm sure they've been following him this season. 
and he's widely regarded as a, as a good up-and-coming center back. On the roster, of course, Bayern Munich replacing Pavar at right back is a little more seamless because they already have Nusar Mizrahi on the roster. They already have Josip Stanisic on the roster. While Mizrahi would be the player I think most would pinpoint as a natural successor to Pavar, Stanisic has proven that he is very capable himself and that he might even be a starting level player at a lot of clubs. So uh, replacing Pavar at right back, I think the plan is already there. But does Bayern Munich want to risk losing Pavar, who has been such a good player this season and who does have that outstanding versatility to be able to shift between spots? I mean, that's something that we know Nagelsmann likes. We know that Bayern Munich as a club likes that versatility. I don't know if they're going to be able to retain him. I also don't think they're going to let this contract situation play out. So I would expect if there is going to be a move next that if there's going to be a move for Pavar, if he's going to move on, it's going to happen next summer. So Byron will have the opportunity to sell him. Of course, this all could shift and change if something happens with the uh, upcoming negotiations with Luca Hernandez. Hernandez, of course, uh, is another player who is nearing the end of his contract. He is also a player that it looks like Byron Munich wants to badly retain. So if Hernandez as has been reported, wants to stay with Byron and, and Byron wants to keep Hernandez, it seems like that would happen. And if that does happen, barring some crazy request by Delict or Upamakano to leave the club, I think Pavar is probably uh, looking at his last season at Bayern Munich. Of course, you know, maybe he'll change his mind. Maybe he'll decide that playing right back is, is just as good as center back. I don't know. But we will find out shortly because the time is ticking away on this season. And I don't know at this stage if Pavar really, really is all that committed to being a right back that much longer. I think for this season, I think he's he's in 100%. I think for France, for the World Cup, he's absolutely in 100%. But after this, he might have kind of graduated from the right back stage of his career. And I guess we'll find out. But it does look like Byron's starting to look around. Is Timber the right kind of player? I don't know. To me, I would need to see a whole hell of a lot more from him. But you also have to factor in that he will be a player that that draws interest from other clubs, including Manchester United. So Benjamin Pavar's situation is something we will absolutely keep an eye on at BFW. I would expect things really start to get hot with Pavar, probably late in the spring and then definitely leading in the summer. If he wants to be a center back and it can't happen at Bayern Munich, I do think he would be prone to move on and find somewhere where he can establish himself as a central defender. Finally, the last thing that we learned this week, and this one really came out of nowhere, was that um, Bayern Munich might have interest in 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 Kai Havertz from Chelsea, which, I, again, these rumors come in out of nowhere. One thing we do know is that Bayern is looking into or was looking into Havertz over the summer, which was a little weird, but ultimately they got away from him because they ultimately pursued Liverpool's Sadio Mane. Right now we know Mane had a great start with Bayern, but has been scuffling uh, a little bit for the club. It'll be very interesting to to see how he starts to adjust over the next few weeks because so many people had high hopes for Mane and, and and he was doing so well that his performance dip, I think, caught a lot of people, including me, by by surprise. So 
uh, for me, I think that if we have uh, an idea of what Bayern Munich likes as a player, what kind of what kind of athlete they want to bring into their attack, Havertz is the kind of player that would fit that mold. He's fast. He's creative. He's got a good nose for goal. He can be moved around and play a bunch of different positions. I think that his, uh, I think that his best spot, honestly, is still as an attacking midfielder. But he can play on the wings. He can play as a striker, as we, as we found out with Chelsea. But is this rumor legit? Is this something that could really happen? And that's where I think I start to have some doubts. And <laughs> I think my doubts are warranted because at this point, what does Byron do with their attack? Like they just re-signed Gnabry. They just re-signed Coman. Muller doesn't look like he's going anywhere. Musiala looks like he needs to be playing more. Uh, Leroy Sané has been maybe Byron's best wing type player so far this season. So there's just not a whole hell of a lot of room in the attack right now. Now, is it possible one of those players could go? Sure. I, I guess it is, but I don't see it right now. And and the, the reporter that broke this story is English journalist, Simon Phillips. And what he said directly was, you know, there's interest. They've known for quite a while, which is why they're waiting for Byron Munich's offer. So what Phillips was referring to is that Havertz has known that Bayern and Bayern Munich has been interested for a while and that they're just waiting on Bayern to make an offer for him. To me, I don't know if I can fully buy that. I know that Havertz right now is is in this weird spot at Chelsea, right? He has been one of those players along with Pulisic, um, Timo Werner, Callum Hudson-Odoi, of players, young players in the attack that really found themselves miscast and underused and had to find new homes. Hudson-Odoi, of course, went to Bayer Leverkusen on loan. Timo, Timo Werner moved on permanently to RB Leipzig. Pulisic, it was rumored that he was looking for a way out but just simply couldn't find one. So it would not shock me if Havertz was among the players who just wants a fresh start somewhere. I don't think that Havertz, like Pulisic, like Werner, I don't think when they moved to Chelsea, this is what they envisioned. Uh, Chelsea did what it does. It stockpiled a ton of attacking assets, all mostly all young, and they were just hoping they would be able to find a way to make it all work. And of course, you know, they've been through how many coaches since those acquisitions went down, and it hasn't worked. And Havertz, among them, I think had a had probably a more poor start than either Werner or Pulisic to his Chelsea career. Um, but has rebounded nicely. Of course, uh, he was able to have the winning goal in the champions league finale. And uh, he'll have an established lure in Chelsea history because of that, but he has not lived up to the expectations. And despite the fact that he has all of this talent, it might be a case where he does need a change of scenery really to get back to trying to reach his potential as a player. And I'm not really sure if, if sticking there would be the best for him anyway, just because of how things have went down, the constant change in leadership there, and just the fact that there are so many options. Even as some players have moved on, it's still a consistent battle for playing time. 
And for Havertz, I think moving back to Germany would be a sensational move. I think that he still has a great reputation in Germany. I think that he, one, would be a great fit on so many teams in the Bundesliga. For me, I would be interested in Havertz at Bayern Munich if someone from the attacking group was was going to move on and if Bayern Munich didn't have any long-term plans to look at a player like Florian Burtz. Uh, at some point, you do have to start to narrow down your roster and start to focus on getting players who are, are going to be starters for you, who are going to be consistent starters for you. They're going to be the, the players that can really be the team leaders moving forward as this club transitions from one generation to another. Havertz, I think, checks a lot of boxes there, but is he going to be the type of player that's going to be able to come to Bayern Munich and earn a starting position? Because that's what he's going to want right now. I, I don't know. They have Bayern has so many similar players on the roster right now. I think Nagelsmann is really struggling to make it work. So adding another one into that mix, a player that's not a natural number nine, uh, a player that really his skill set might most be most uh, relative to Jamal Musiala. I don't know if he'll be able to to be able to come in and be the player that I think many thought he would be when he's when he was at Bayer Leverkusen. So would I want Kai Havertz at Bayern Munich? I would under certain conditions. Do I know that one or two of the current attacking group are, are looking to leave and are probably going to leave next summer? That's what I would need to know. I would want to also know how committed Kai Havertz was to being a star at Bayern Munich. Is he going to be the kind of player that's going to get to Bayern and look to raise his game and help his game evolve and get better? Or is he going to be a player that's going to be simply content to get to Bayern Munich and think that he's made it in German football? I would need to know those things. But on the surface, yeah, sure. Stockpiling talent is great. But if I were Havertz, I'd be a little leery of Bayern Munich as well because I'd look at that attacking group and I'd say to myself, where do I fit? Where is my position? Am I going to be the next Thomas Muller when, when Muller ultimately slows down? I don't know. Uh, what kind of system is Julian Nagelsmann going to run? The 4 2 would be great for a player like Havertz, but if they shift back to a 4-2-3-1, does that put me in competition with Jamal Musiala? Would either Havertz or Musiala be shifted to wing? There are a lot of questions. <laughs> well, one thing we do know is that if Havertz is interested in Bayern, I think Byron would at least do its due diligence in kicking the tires and figuring out if they can make it work. And now I, I personally don't see any way you could add more attacking talent to this roster that's not a natural number nine and make it work. But hey, this is a long time for this season. We don't know what's going to happen with Byron, how they're going to perform in the coming weeks. We don't know if they might need an injection of energy or an injection of a new player to mix things up just to get this team to help reach its potential. So, yeah, would I take them? Absolutely. Is it a good move? Uh, I, I tend to say no because I don't know how he would fit. So, ah, Kai Havertz, I, I don't know where that rumor emerged from, you know, where Simon Phillips, where he got that, and, and if he's talking to Havertz camp or if he's got sources at Chelsea or Bayern. But either way, it, it is an intriguing prospect i just don't know how likely it is to happen and finally i think we'll end the episode on a quick 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 note about house of the dragon so as you know i've been watching that i just started up cobra kai and i started Dahmer, which i'm kind of torn whether i should continue on with 
Uh, if it wasn't for Evan Peters, who is a pretty phenomenal actor, I don't know that I'd be all that interested in the subject matter of Dahmer. But uh, once I saw Evan Peters was attached to it, I, I figured I had to check it out. So, um, so Cobra Kai and Dahmer, I will I will review a little bit later. But House of the Dragon, the most recent episode, we had a ten year time jump. We had new actors take over. We had a lot of conflict, a lot of politics. The only thing I really want to focus on for this is the show, while it has been entertaining and, and, and frustrating all at the same time, the, the part where it's starting to lose me is in Game of Thrones, there was always some type of moral compass, somebody that really wanted to do the right thing, somebody that could be classified as the good guy or the good girl or the good person, however you want to reference it. I'm not seeing that in House of the Dragon. Almost every character is the bad guy, the bad girl, the bad person. No one appears to be a hero. No one appears to be a good person. I, I don't see it at this point. Maybe that's why underlying everything else, maybe that's what has been bothering me, that I don't see that we have a true protagonist or a hero in the story that is going to emerge and be the one who makes you feel good about having invested this time princess looks like a bad person uh the queen looks like a bad person sir Kristen, who looked like an honorable person now appears to be a bad person uh, prince damon a bad person the valerians the whole family of, of, of valerians they're all bad people it seems so i don't know at this point who is good right now <laughs> and maybe that's what i want to see so maybe in the the coming weeks that we have this Hopefully some of the characters start to have more good attributes that we can see. I would like there to be a hero. I know in the world of Game of Thrones, it doesn't follow the normal hero villain type storyline. But it was especially, I think, disheartening to see that some of the kids had kind of been what we had envisioned. If you follow the Game of Thrones universe, they've either are <sighs> spoiled, obviously, or they just have some really arrogant traits that make them unlikable. So it, it's been interesting and it has been entertaining and I do enjoy the show. I do find myself frustrated every week, not to the level of frustration that I've had with other shows like the walking dead, but uh, I will say that while I am enjoying house of the dragon, it is becoming tough to watch for a number of reasons. Then again, Dahmer is tough to watch for a number of reasons. So I, I'm in some kind of crazy rut with TV. And the only good thing is that Cobra Kai is like the direct opposite of this, where it's that's definitely a show where you can forget all the good and evil and just kind of focus on the entertainment aspect of it. Even though there are, you know, the conflict within, there is the conflict within that show. Um, it's just a whole different vibe and a lot more fun. So it's nicely balancing out all this really hard stuff that I'm watching, but that'll about do it for this episode. I appreciate you guys listening. Uh, it's, it's going to be a couple of crazy weeks as we lead into the world cup. I think that Bayern Munich has to come out and they have to do some, some things they have to, they have to show something because it, it's been tough for fans. And I think that if they have another tough match against Leverkusen, it, it could be uh <laughs> Yeah, I think people will be uh, getting their torches and pit, pitchforks all ready to chase Julian Nagelsmann and maybe some players out of town. So let's watch that game. Have a great weekend. 
You can get me at the Barrel Blog. You can get the site at Bavarian FB Works. You can get Tom at Tommy Adam seventy one. You can get I Need No Name at BFWINNN. You can get all of our great podcasters and writers on the site. Please check out all of our great game coverage for the Bayer Leverkusen match. Check out all of our news pieces and opinions that we'll be posting. Have a couple of beers on me. Have a great weekend, and we will see you next time.